Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. All right, welcome back to Maximize Your Influence, where we spend time talking about persuasion, motivation, influence, sales, leadership, self-persuasion, because we all persuade and influence for living things we should have learned in school. Give you a few tools for your toolbox, since most people only have, what, four or five persuasion tools. Let's get more tools, be more persuasive, make more money, be more successful, and change the world while we are at it. Kermorenson here. This is Podcast 336, and we're going to take a dive today on how to be more persuasive on your webinars, on your online meetings, on your Zoom calls. Hope everyone had a good week. Hope things are starting to get a little bit more normalized for you with this crazy virus, strange world things happening. Who's telling us the truth? Who knows? But hey, I did have an anniversary this week. Thank you very much. And we went out to eat. Some things are getting a little more normal. Want to support a local restaurant? Went out to eat. It was pretty cool. Not a lot of people out, but hey, you know, want to support the local entrepreneurs. Hey, and I even did a live training face-to-face. Can you believe that? Now, we still social distance. We didn't shake hands, and we sat far apart, and I was in front of the room, and they were towards the back of the room. But hey, it was live, so we'll see what happens going forward. So once again, thanks for being here. Tell your family, friends, and enemies. Remember, everything you need is at MaximizeYourInfluence.com from your Persuasion IQ assessment. That's free. The free new edition of Maximum Influence. Pick up a little shipping and handling. Contact me, ask me questions, and find out about InfluenceUniversity.com. All right, that's our housekeeping. Let's start with the Geeky Scarly article. This is from the Journal of Marketing Research in the University of Minnesota about options. Now, we know and we've talked about on the show before that too many options make people's brains explode. Here are the 77 mutual funds that fit your need. Here are the 16 jams. Tell us which ones you like the best. And that's one of the reasons no one fills out their 401ks when they get hired with a job. There's just too many options. They don't know what to do. They shut down. When the brain's overwhelmed, when the brain's confused, shuts down, does nothing. And so it is important to have options, but first of all, before we get into this article, not too many options. Two to three options. Careful if you go more than that. So Dr. Rao talks about when a consumer is faced with a choice, the presence of a relatively unattractive option improves how the similar, better item looks. So volunteers had their brains scanned while they made choices between several sets of equally appealing options as well as a choice set that included a third, somewhat less attractive, I'll add strange, option. So overall, the presence of an extra just-okay possibility systematically increased preference for the better options. The fMRI scans show that when making a choice between two equally preferred options, subjects tend to display irritation because of the difficulty in the choice process. So basically, when they saw two things, couldn't tell the difference. They seemed pretty equal. They didn't know which one was better. It actually hurt their ability to make a decision. So what happens when you add a third choice that's not so amazing? They found that the presence of that third option that was just like, okay, whatever, duh, I'm not going to choose that one, 
made the process easier, the process of choosing easier and more pleasurable. So when considering these three options, the buyers displayed a decrease in activation in the amygdala. That's the area of the brain associated with negative emotions. That's the thing that taints everything with emotions. That's the thing that makes us feeling creatures that think. So bottom line, when you show people three things, one cool choice and two not so cool choices, they don't have to think very hard. They follow their instinct. It's simpler. It's quicker. And they say that one. But when there are two items to choose from, people hem and ha, and they might do it forever. That's when you get all think about it. I'll come back later. I'm not sure because they don't know. A confused mind says no. An overwhelmed mind says no. So they love the science of three choices. I mean, it's really two choices, but there's three there. And there's this one that just comes out. And you're like, duh, this is the choice. Another thing they've tested, and I've seen this before in different studies, where people just have three options, but then they get rid of the lower price item and just add a higher price item, and everyone tends to buy the ones in the middle. So they say choice one's a nice option, which is about a 7 on the 1 to 10 scale. Choice two, a great unattainable expensive option, that's 8 on the choice scale. And then the choice three is an unattractive, lame, undesirable option, 3 on the 1 to 10 scale. So the study found that retailers interested in helping ease the pain of consumer decision-making may introduce decoys, loss leaders, or other products similar to the ones they really want to market. It'll make the focal product look more attractive. So when a consumer has three choices, the unattractive third option makes it easier for them to decide. So if you're not selling a lot of your most expensive item, add an even more expensive item and you'll sell more of that. If you are giving them options, add a dumber option to make it easier to choose. And let me add, when you use options, people feel more autonomous like they're making a decision. You don't care which option they choose. Make sure they all win for you. If they choose the most expensive one, great. If they choose a different one, great. You're still persuading them. You're still making the sale. Options can be powerful, especially when you're dealing with someone that's very resistant and they make decisions and they want to be pushed into a corner. Hey, let them choose. Even teenagers, you want to take out the trash or do the dishes, do something, let them choose. They feel autonomous. So this is a win-win all around. They feel autonomous. They feel like they're choosing. And now you know if you add one or even two dumb choices, it's easier to choose the best option. There you go. That's our geeky article of the day. Let's get into the persuasion blunder. Don't, don't, don't. Now that would be me. I have a huge blunder this week. So as you know, we're going to be talking about webinars and Zoom and Skype today and being more persuasive. And I've been testing out different formats, different versions. In fact, I got a nice whiteboard in my office. I had to tilt the whiteboard down about 10 degrees so the lights wouldn't glare off it. So I might get it done, work through it. So I was bouncing between sharing the screen, doing some PowerPoint, and then doing just face-to-face writing like I would in a classroom on a whiteboard. Well, I was talking about... Seven keys to rapport, the science and art of rapport and connecting and likability. And one of those is optimism. It's one of the traits of charismatic people. It's one of the ones I found out doing research for the laws of charisma. Well, hello, blunder. And I've spelled this word, I don't know how many times. I've typed this word, I don't know how many times. And so I'm going down and I wrote optimistic without the letter P. So it's optimistic. <laughs> if that's not even a word... But as you know, when someone misspells something or their zipper's down, there's something in their teeth and no one says anything, their brain is stuck on that. And I kept going, I didn't even notice it till later on when I was looking at the video. Now, I was able to fix it in post-production. There's some magical ways to do that. That's probably for another podcast. 
But hello, be careful. I don't know why my spelling's getting worse. I don't know why I missed the P. I mean, hello. That's a no-brainer. I know how to spell this thing, but I spelled it wrong. And of course, there's judgment. And of course, people get stuck on it. And of course, I looked lame. I'll take the blunder. I did it. I made the mistake. I wish I would have noticed it so I could own up to it. I'm happy to own up to my mistakes, but I never even noticed till the whole thing was done. So be very careful with your PowerPoints, when you're doing your webinars, whatever you're doing, that everything's spell-checked. And this is not the first time. I've been guilty of this before, but I need to, we need to get better with that because some people, that just destroys your credibility. Some people don't care. Some people will laugh and chuckle. Well, I don't know what happened. I'll have to check my emails to see what people thought about my misspelling of missing the letter P in optimistic. So I'll take the blunder. I'll do it. I'll make mistakes. I'll own up to it. And it's something I've learned before. But when you're multitasking and writing and being recorded and working with and taking questions, sometimes you miss some of these really important things. So let's talk about in this strange time of virus and corona and staying at home and working at home and being more digital and the life with Zoom, Skype, webinars. How do you make those things more persuasive, more engaging? Because we used to persuade a lot more face-to-face. Now it's more via the phone, via email, via computer, this whole digital world. And that changes things. It's one thing when you're face-to-face and can read their body language, which you can with some of these platforms. Sometimes with a phone email, you're just like, I'm not seeing it, I'm not feeling it, I really don't know what's going on. So I don't know what the new norm is as far as face-to-face, going back to work, my live seminars, I don't know. We'll have to see how that plays out. But the new norm will be a new norm. It'll be different. We'll just have to see. And I'm telling you what, it's harder when you're not face-to-face. We all know that because people are multitasking. They're doing their work. They're checking their email. Oh, the phone just buzz. Oh, there's a text. I like face-to-face better. I learn more personally when I'm in a seminar. I feel like I'm doing a better job when I'm face-to-face. I can read people, take questions. And I don't know what it is. It seems like a lot of these digital meetings take longer I don't know if it's because it's harder to manage the questions, read the audience. I do know it's harder to maintain that attention. So how can you be more persuasive, keep people more engaged during these webinars? Because I know when I'm doing a webinar, I'm sitting in a lazy boy. I'm in my sweats. I'm hanging out. I've got a couple screens going. It's hard. It's tough. I've been guilty on both sides. I've been a bad attendee, and I've been someone trying to keep people's attention. It's tough. It's the new norm. I don't know what it is. And the crazy thing is, I'm not sure why it takes more energy. You know, I'm sitting in a lazy boy, not always, in my sweats. The other day I mentioned that I did two four-hour webinars, then another two-and-a-half-hour college class, all digital, all online, and it wiped me out. That was a lot more energy than face-to-face. Not sure why it does that, but it is. Maybe because there's more things happening. When you're face-to-face, you're just there with the audience teaching When you're online, there's other things happening. There's questions coming in. There's digital content. You're switching around doing different things. Not sure why. I'll research it and let you know. So there's different types of these webinars. There's GoToWebinar, Adobe Connect, WebEx. Those are usually used when you're just sharing a PowerPoint-type presentation. There's some overlap here. I'm just generalizing. They're all starting to do almost basically the same thing, but they all do have their specialties. Then there's things like Join Me or Screen Leap that you're just sharing your screen with one person. You're doing a presentation one-on-one. You don't need the bigger formats like GoToWebinar or WebEx or Adobe Connect. 
Then, of course, Skype and Zoom. Skype was usually used just for your screen, but of course, you can see the other person for smaller meetings. The big trend really taken off now is Zoom. That's what I use for college courses where you can see all the students and you can see them raising questions. You can see them laughing. You can see them being engaged. And I do require that their camera has to be on. And that changes everything. That increases the interactivity to where they know they're being watched. The camera's on. Now, you're just listening in. The camera's off. Man, people will play. I've done the same thing. When it's a webinar I'm not too sure of, I make sure the camera's not on. And I might even use a fictitious name because I don't want them to know who I am and that I'm not really listening. I don't really like to say that because that's a terrible attendee, but sometimes you just want to listen in the background. But I'm talking about how do you make that persuasive, engaging, keeping people involved webinar online digital meeting. So let's talk about it. So first thing we need to talk about is the background. What is behind your camera? Even if you're just sharing your screen, what is on your screen? What software do you have launched? What do you have sitting on your desktop, on your computer? You might want to keep one side that's clean and that's the side you share. And then if you're doing a Zoom type call, what's behind you? I typically use a whiteboard or I have a series of bookshelves in my office as a backdrop. So maybe I'll look smarter, but it's a decent backdrop. So be careful. Look behind you and maybe even lock the door. I know when my kids were really young, okay, I'm doing a webinar, everyone stay out, I'd lock the door, but fast forward 30 minutes, bam, 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 dad, your door's locked, dad, <laughs> during the webinar, this is when they were really young, we had to work through that a few times, so if there's kids at home, and you can look at countless YouTube videos of someone walking across the screen in their underwear, someone burping in the background, things happening, you've heard this, but it just happens, so lock your door if you need to... Dress up if you need to, look good, maybe even put some pants on. I don't know if you got that guy on ABC News who was doing an interview at home and he was social distancing and he had a suit on except he had shorts. And hey, I'm guilty of that too. <laughs> I'll have a suit jacket on with shorts. It's cooler. It's nicer. I like it. Nobody sees it. But every once in a while, you might move or something will happen and someone sees your shorts. I'm sure most people don't care, but at least wear shorts. <laughs> Don't be in your underwear or other things. So watch what you're wearing. And remember, too, you're always on it, especially with the Zoom technology. You think you're lost in the shuffle, but people can scroll around and check you out. And we've seen some strange things. People picking their nose. And we'll stop there. Sounds in the background you don't want to hear. Whatever it is, just assume you're always on and they can see you unless you've turned off your camera. Okay, so you've taken care of your background and you. Then what about you? This takes energy. So did you sleep, get some fresh air, get something to eat? Maybe you need a stand-up. Sometimes I'll stand up and deliver a presentation. Maybe you need a little Red Bull. I don't know what it is, but switch it up, change it up, do some different things. That's why I'll do some whiteboard. Maybe I'll do some PowerPoint. Switch it up. You've got to be on target. You've got to be in the zone. You've got to be in the right state to deliver this engaging, persuasive, influential presentation. So those are some foundational things, but let's talk about more engagement. There's things you can do before you even start. One of the things that I do is just for sticking around, give them a free audio or free video or report, something that's really cool, something they like, something that'll really help them out, something that'll prove my worth to them. Just something free for sticking around for the whole presentation. And if you're using this for marketing, there are ways for you to see where people are dropping off, where they're hanging up. And if, 
If you're losing 50% of your people within a couple minutes, you know you need to switch things up. So give them something for sticking around. In the first five minutes, come in maybe five, 10 minutes early and just start talking to people and introduce yourself and maybe start with a story and welcome people. Let people know what they're going to learn and how it's going to change their life. Make sure they've printed out whatever they need. I'd also recommend maybe a pre-video or pre-assignment, something they can do to get engaged, to get involved, something you can do ahead of time to prove your worth. If it's marketing, webinar, or Zoom, or whatever it is, maybe that pre-video, or maybe it's a auto-response sequence through email that's letting them know what they're going to learn, what's going to happen, and how to get prepared can also help. And when you launch, you've got to manage expectations right up front. Let them know, look, I can know you multitask. Please turn off your phones, shut the door, do whatever you need to do, get your liquid, whatever it is, let them know up front. And let people know that you're going to call people on random. Now, this depends if it's a work meeting, you can do something like that. If you have a couple hundred people on a marketing, probably not. You don't necessarily want them asking questions. Now, when I'm doing a training, a smaller training, let's say for a corporation, I let everyone know, you need to respond to every question. You can raise your hand, but at least in group chat, respond to every single question. And those first couple times you ask a question, you've got to train them. You've got to manage those expectations. Look, I need three more responses. Let them know you're looking, you're watching, everyone responds. And it doesn't have to be paragraphs. It could be two or three words or one word. As long as they're responding and they're doing something, that is what you're looking for. But you have to do that up front. And when you ask that first question, you've got to wait, you've got to prod, you've got to poke you got to call people out, hey, Frank, I haven't heard from you yet. What do you think the answer to that is? Those type of things can be very, very beneficial. Now, during, how do you get more engagement during this webinar, this Zoom, this Skype, whatever you're using or all of the above? I've noticed that my PowerPoints become busier and more frequent. Now, when I'm live, face-to-face with people, A, I don't like PowerPoint very much. And if it's a 60-minute keynote, I probably won't use it. But if I do use it, Maybe one slide every two to three minutes, two to three bullets per slide. Very simple, very basic. Because it's webinar, if they can't see my face, I will use a lot more slides, a lot busier slides just to keep people more engaged. So in that format, it is okay. So your visuals that you're going to use, keep them busy. Add some visuals, add some pictures. That can go a long way. Remember, as you kick it off, that first two minutes is critical. you got to let them know what's in it for them, what's in it for the team, what's in it for their company. In that first two minutes, teach them something new, something unique, something that can change them, something they didn't think about. That's important in the first couple minutes because that's all they're going to give you. Some of the things that can help too is having an agenda, having time breaks, let people know up front we're taking a break at 30 minutes in, how long we're going, and never, never go over. Because when you go over, go long, especially in a situation where they have to be there, they will hate you. They won't like you. They will not connect with you. They will have mean feelings towards you. Stick to it. Unless you have permission to go over, don't go over. And you can also be more engaging by showing some videos, switching it up to every 10 minutes where you're doing something a little bit different. You're asking a different question. You're taking a different approach. Maybe you're doing a problem solving or a group activity. The new software out there is awesome where you get people into groups and they can brainstorm and they can work through some different things, switching it up. And these activities are important, so they're just not sitting there. It could be a worksheet that they need to fill out during your presentation. If you have PowerPoint, one thing that I found, I just do fill in the blank. Just send them out to them. Take your PowerPoints and go through each slide and take out two to three words or a word every line that they have to fill in the blank. 
and you send it out ahead of time and they can print it out. That can keep people more engaged. You can do a poll. You can do a quiz. You can do a survey. Any of those activities can keep them more engaged. I give them some type of study to where, how do you fix this? How would you do it? Let's brainstorm as a group. Get them into groups can be very, very persuasive. And at the end, go over your action items, your next step. Call to action. What do you want them to do? Make sure you make your call to action simple, easy, and something they can understand as you finish up your webinar. What is the next thing you want them to do? Do you want their credit card? Do you want them on another webinar? Do you want them to say yes to something? What is it you want them to do? And your whole presentation should be pointing to that. So those are a few pointers that I've learned over the years to be more persuasive, more influential, more engaging, more charismatic, and getting people more involved. Because if they're not listening, if they don't care, if they're answering their email, if they're looking at their phone, it's very, very difficult to persuade and influence them. So let me know your thoughts about what I talked about today. It's Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com, or just go to the website, MaximizeYourInfluence.com. But I do appreciate your kind remarks. Let me know what you want to hear on the show. Tell your family, friends, and enemies. Also go to YouTube, check out Maximize Your Influence, and also hit like and subscribe. This week I'll be talking about how to deal with those difficult and impossible questions you get on these webinars or even face-to-face without losing face, without getting upset, especially when they're mean, vindictive, venomous questions. Again, thanks for being here. Do better in the digital world. Be more persuasive online. Become more engaging on those webinars. And you know the drill. Go out and persuade with power.